The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. How's it going? Hey, David. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Pretty good. How was your one-week break off? Um, too long. I missed you guys. I oh, missed you, too. so much <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the second act of the Ashley Madison hacking scandal in which it was revealed that actually approximately zero real women were using the site, meaning the whole thing was basically a catfishing scam made real seeming by some breathless media coverage. We're also going to be talking about just how much relationships are sustained by anal sex, since according to a new study, it's way more common among long-term couples. And we're also going to be popping a little champagne about news that what Maureen calls the orgasm gap is closing. Women are finally uh, coming almost as much as men. On to our first topic. What the fuck, Ashley Madison? Um, this one may be a little more interesting to me than you. I don't know. But um, last month, a hacker squad dumped the user database of hookup site Ashley Madison, which is built and billed itself as a place to initiate no-strings affairs between people cheating on their spouses or significant others. Um I didn't find that part of the story so interesting, even all the op ed things that were written about how appropriate it was to shame people for cheating. The thing that yeah. I found super interesting was the next sort of act of the scandal. At Gizmodo, the great Annalie Newitz combed through the data and discovered first that of the advertised 37 million profiles, only 5.5 million were women. And second, more importantly for our purposes, that of those 5.5 million, less than 1,500 had ever checked their messages ever, which means basically that even the sliver of profiles belonging to women were really bots, that basically zero actual cheating ever happened, thanks to Ashley Madison, and that therefore the whole site and all of the fuss that's been made over it over the last decade was a total fraud. So first of all, I guess, did this news surprise you guys as much as it did me? No, when I heard it, I was like, obviously, there's nobody real on that site. <laughs> it's like the hacky, the hokiest looking site ever. Yeah. Had you been thinking that forever, that it was like a total joke? Yeah, whenever I see those billboards and that cheesy, like, you know, woman with the her finger to her lips, I'm like, nobody is using this. I was surprised, though, because though I suspected that there were not as many women on the site as men and that not that many were real women, um, this is like the number that actually use it actively is so small that it's like statistically insignificant. Yeah. 1,500 <laughs> of them compared to actually use it compared to 37 million profiles. Right. That's just nuts. And it seems like most of the men were at least active enough to read their email a couple times. And that would that number was in like the tens of millions. So That's it's like so the proportion of active men to active women is just insane. Yeah, it makes you wonder whether, I mean, this was just an act in perpetual frustration or just an act of fantasy for those men. I mean, it's worth noting that there were women that actually used it, which we, you know, discovered from Dan Savage last week was doing letters from Ashley Madison users. There's been, you know, a few of those, like, hacky, I tried Ashley Madison, where, right. like, a man, like, messaged one woman and she was like, well, yeah, I want sex. What do you think I want here? And then concluded in, like, GQ magazine, oh, my God. It seems crazy that, like, this news didn't break before the hacking. I mean, I guess there are people who, you know, users would have been uncomfortable outing themselves as users in order to complain. But if you're, like, spending all this money not just to be a member of the site, but also it seems like you have to pay, like, sort of per message to women. If you're spending all that money and, like, not ever getting laid, it's like, how do you... <laughs> 
How does that work? Right. Isn't that just the straight male existence? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of money, very little return. <laughs> I mean, the thing that um, that actually drives me crazy about this, and you mentioned that sort of breathless media coverage, I'm going to completely paint myself into a corner by saying this, but I do not think that every single article, first of all, most people were signing women to write their stories about Ashley Madison for like the stunty, I joined Ashley Madison, so that they could say, look at all these sleaze buckets. I would never talk to any of these people in real life. Right. The second genre was there was a smaller number of like first person you know, magazine articles that were like a dude joining it each time with a caveat, I'm happily married or I have a girlfriend. I would never cheat on her. I'm just going to see what these people will say. I will say sack up journalists who do (laughs) stunty first person shit. Like you don't get to use the headline. I tried Ashley Madison. Unless you're actually try. You didn't really get. And that's yeah. So that's That's why I honestly think that every time. And it's like it's such a trope in like first person stunt journalism, which is like its own stupid hacky thing. And yet I take very seriously (laughs) as a first person stunt writer all the time. (laughs) That like. You know, it's the genre where the girl goes to a sex club but doesn't take her clothes off. And the guy joins Ashley Madison, but he would never cheat. That's exactly why we think this is a real thing, because we see all these articles of people being like, I chatted with people. They exist. But we never actually see them being like, "Okay, can I actually get laid? Because it all like you join Ashley Madison, you say, I'm not trying to get laid. And then you don't get laid. Well, duh. But just as a business, it seems actually to have been sort of working. I think they said last year their revenue was like $150 million. and. They really were going to do an IPO that valued the company at a billion dollars. But like based on nothing it's happening. It's a total right? fraud. There's no product, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I had seen some people saying that it was a scam. And some men had like in various like tiny like, you know, bodybuilding.com forums or whatever. <laughs> That's where you complaining days, about. Yeah. <laughs> there were complaints, though, about like Ashley Madison. Yeah. That these people aren't real or it never happens. But I think the instinct when you see that is, first of all, nobody really feels sympathetic for the guy that got ripped off trying right. to cheat on his wife. Second, um, there's an assumption that if a guy isn't getting laid, it's his fault, and other people are getting laid, right? That you're like, well, too bad for you. The guys who are succeeding aren't complaining, you know, that there's no way to, like, affirm that no one, it's not working for anyone. Well, why do you think these guys were on Ashley Madison in the first place as opposed to just using some other hookup site? Aren't there plenty of other ways to, like, have no strings attached sex? Well, I mean, that's a good point. Like, yeah. you can't really use Tinder as a person in a relationship because inevitably somebody's going to find you, like a friend is going to find yeah. you and report it back. So Ashley Madison did give some semblance of confidentiality, even though it's still the most hackable site I can imagine. You mean because if someone saw you on there, like, that meant that they were also fucking around and, like, they weren't, yeah. they, they right. didn't have any moral ground the likely, to stand on? <laughs> the likelihood of running into, like, your wife's sorority sisters is, like, a lot smaller, mostly because none of them were on it in the first place. Right. But, like, you know, if a guy joins Tinder... He's going to be seen by everybody in a two-mile yeah. radius, including your wife's, like, Pilates instructor. Yeah, it was like, sire. I'm thinking of, like, husband. specifically Park Slope husbands <laughs> getting on Tinder to find extramarital booty. Most of them probably didn't even intend to go through with it all the way, right? Sometimes yeah. the, like, setting up the account and messaging women's or really bots is more than enough to kind of give them the thrill that they were looking for. You're really I think, thinking I think of this most park men slope are cowards, like... no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm really in this park slope husband fantasy. They're essentially writing their own erotica every time right. they message someone. But it's also interesting to think that cheating is such a such a powerful fantasy for men that like they would thirty seven million of them or whatever it was, twenty two I don't remember how many men there were, but um would be excited just to like participate in a collective erotica writing contest. Right? <laughs> right. That's kind That's of incredible. Sad. The yeah. power of just the idea of yeah. adultery is that powerful. 
to and so do, many people. Do you guys think it's more appealing to men than it would be for women? Or is it just that it happens that men were more into this particular... <laughs> Clearly it's more appealing for men than women, right? <laughs> Don't we have the t- test case right here? I mean, there's a cliche that like women, you know, cheat because they fall for someone and they're tired away. I don't think, I don't that's, think that's necessarily true. true. Um, but I think that's the sort of facile, sexist, I guess, right. argument that the man sets out. I think we just have better taste, too. Like, yeah. again, I'm not going to go to a hot pink site with some boobs on it to find a, an extramarital affair. With, a, like, a stripper woman's name. Right. That's the best, <laughs> yeah. for me, is the best part of the site. I mean, if men are looking for the Ashley Madisons, they're not, what's Maureen going to do there? Right. Like, what's an Allison going to do at Ashley Madison? <laughs> and what do we think about, like, cheating in general? I mean, all those things that were written over the last whatever that said that this signaled some shift in our in our sort of sexual mores about cheating and about dating is that all bullshit or like is cheating more comfortable possible acceptable in a like in sort of a tinder era Um, i think that people are willing to um like reconsider monogamy and how realistic it is and how appealing it really is I think that a lot of people are open to having more conversations about alternative ways of being with a right. partner and like considering open relationships. Or I think that's true, but I also think Ashley Madison does not mark that shift. <clears throat> Ashley Madison, if anything, marked a sort of retro mode of extramarital sleeping around, right? Because that sort of open relationship mood isn't something Ashley Madison's service. What was actually surprising about it is that when we're living in this era when supposedly we're more open or people are more able to sort of embrace different forms of sexuality, in fact, all these people were doing it explicitly to cheat, explicitly because their sort of monogamous relationships meant that this had to be a deep, dark secret. Do you think like the secret dirty affair will always have a place in oh yeah yeah because even i mean i even even when people are in happy open relationships they can still cheat right you can always violate the boundaries of whatever rules you have in your relationship and people will always be doing that because people are that's just what we do (laughs) we aren't capable of like full 100 i mean we are capable some people are capable of the full 100 percent. but as long as there are rules in your relationship you're gonna want to break them there's gonna be people who break them right So we've been talking about the fascinating Ashley Madison fraud. Uh, Now let's move on to our second topic, which is how anal sex can help your marriage or something. Um, (laughs) A a recent study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, a pretty good study actually with a pretty massive sample size, showed that a number of factors made women considerably likelier to have had anal sex in the last 12 months. Being in your 20s, not having a religious affiliation, being richer, having had same-sex sexual experiences at some point in your past having been younger than 16 when you lost your virginity, and having been treated for an STD in the last year. So a lot of those factors are signs of a sort of general promiscuity, for lack of a better phrase. But one of them ran in the opposite direction, and that was the one that you, Maureen, flagged as especially interesting, being in a relationship. Did that seem anomalous to you when you read the study, or did it make sense that people in a couple would be um, more likely to have had anal sex recently? I think it made total sense, and it made me start thinking about which acts really sort of only occur or mostly occur within a relationship. Anal sex is the kind of thing that it you sort of don't do that until you're, or often for clearly many of these women, as was suggested by the very strong correlation, they didn't have anal sex unless they were with a partner or someone they trusted or they'd been with them for a little while, um, which was interesting to me because I remember when we wrote that article about uh, butt play. We? 
we <laughs> when I wrote that article about That's bump all play. You wrote. It's all yours. <laughs> and David kindly edited it. Um, I remember right after that, this really funny comment from this girl I know that she wrote on my Facebook wall. She said, I thought about this today on the subway and came to the very sentimental conclusion that rim jobs might be the only sexual act I've only performed with people I'm in love with. Needs to be some unconditional shit before I taste your shit. Whoa, yeah. What is the <laughs> things that only occur when you're unconditionally in love with someone? Well, I guess you could think about, like, other kinds of fetishes, like... Oh, uh, like choking. I guess you really have to trust a person. Well, that's, other... it's an interesting case study because then what you're, what you're enacting is, at least as a fantasy, a lack of trust, a lack of, like, security. Right. But, you're, yeah, you need someone who... Will not take advantage of that, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Say something like the, like, no foreplay quickie. I can't imagine that happening with somebody that I'm not actually, like, dating or, like, yeah. with. You know, that's not going to happen on some random hookup. The efficient fuck is something that grows over the course of time together. And you can't have an efficient fuck with, you know, a stranger. But, I mean, you know, part of the reason that you need the all night long when you're beginning is because you're, like, fumbling around. You don't know what to do to get that right. person off yet. Right. I know, um, David, you're our, you're our married co-host. Resident <laughs> yeah. Yeah, expert on this. What, what, in what ways has sex changed? I think probably it's, like, probably it's gotten shorter. Like, that there is more efficient sex in my relationship yeah. than there had been at the beginning. Because it's sort of like... Uh, once you, you know, the point is to get you both off and then right. you're like, all right, now we're done. Back, back to um, chores. I think also things like, maybe this is a married thing, like sex when you're sick, you know? But who wants to have sex when uh. you have the flu, though? <laughs> Never mind. Oh, I definitely just, like, imagining I would say definitely, like, like um, period sex is, like, way more common than it yes. would be at the beginning okay, of a relationship. that's a good point, yeah. Also a good point. Um, e- even sometimes, like, just to, like, help cramps yeah like it's like this is just like a medical intervention <laughs> not like a sexual activity my doll's not working yeah anything messy i think i think you put that's the correct allison yes. the idea of like messiness is sometimes like bodily the thing that you're heavy. not necessarily comfortable doing until you know somebody um one of my friends who had been with her now husband for like six years dating and then they married now they've been married for a few years and she's like, actually, I think our sex life got way pervier and crazier after marriage. And I was like, why? And her analysis was that the knowledge that they truly, truly only had one another's bodies for the rest of their lives. Like, she's never going to fuck another man ever. That all of a sudden she's like, I guess it's now or never. Right. That there's nowhere to hide. Like, your hangups, her hangups were suddenly blisteringly obvious. And somehow they suddenly just reached this moment. They're like, well gotta add something to the repertoire (laughs) now's the time let's get that swing but is there a counter like another category that's like uh things you can only do or only want done to you by people you don't know all that well that like you may be totally like sort of even ashamed to like perform around someone you know and love but like still want to do i remember i once wanted to do maybe i should still do this column about first time sex and the way i brought it up um at a round table of like ladies brunching which is how all my articles (laughs) began i'm such a cliche but (laughs) the ladies brunching that somebody um one woman was she talked about she'd had sex with a guy that she was dating and was like how was and she's like oh well you know like first time sex where it's like really like may i please very gently, missionary, like delicate, delicate, delicate. And half the table goes, no way. First time sex is the dirtiest sex. And the other half are like, no, first time sex is like the most delicate, gentle, trust me, I'm not a bad person sex. Don't do anything out of the easy script. Seems like that that would be pretty like complicated territory to navigate. It's like if you're going home with one person, 
one week that has one attitude towards first-time <laughs> sex and then another person who's like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Right. It's like, what do, you, what do I do? Yeah. I think, I've, I think bizarrely, and this might just be a, sim- a sign of like how emotionally well you are or something, I have done all the weirdest shit on like first-time dates always. And I think it's because for me, there's some element of like, oh yeah, like not wanting to step down. That, like, like when you're like meeting someone new, yeah, like that you're like, oh, you're like I'm up for this. I'm down. I'm down. And have you been in relationships that started on really wild nights that then yes. got less wild over time? Oh, um, no, they stayed wild. They stayed, they stayed at that. Weird. You can't yeah. like undo that. But that's, once you my, start. that's the problem. Like if you go full throttle and you're like, I'm gonna do something super weird sexually that I only want to try this once, then like the expectation to be like that all the time is kind of intense, right? You can never just be like yeah. missionary this. For the rest of time. Yeah, I'd say that the relationships that started that way were pretty weird. Yeah. Um, Wait, I had a couple more questions I wanted to ask you guys about anal sex in particular. So, <laughs> go for it, David. <laughs> well, I, what I'm I'm interested in. Do we think that anal sex is going to just keep getting more and more common, or is there like a plateau, or is it possibly going to get so common that then it's blasé and therefore less exciting and therefore it goes down? Or like, or you know, is this just going to be part of? Is it going to, like, follow the oral sex trajectory, or is it going to have a a different kind of a trajectory? I kind of thought it already was at, like, oral sex. I don't think it's following the oral sex trajectory, because I think we think of oral sex as, like, third base now. Like, oral sex is, like, the easy version. Are you still thinking in bases, though? Well, like, no, but, well, this is, you know, that, like, in that it comes before penis and vagina sex, right? Maybe? Like, a blowjob, you're like, I just blew him, I didn't fuck him. I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I think. Yeah. No, I guess that's the more common. But anal sex seems like it would be surprising to me to have first to have anal sex without having like been in a relationship where you have already had other forms of sex. I think I kind of disagree. Um, like I, I don't know. Maybe I just like have been reading too many of your columns or talking to you about this too much. But I'm like, people are like pretty open about like, yeah. you know butt stuff and like early on do butt stuff in relationships. So I feel like it's more the oral sex trajectory where like maybe. It's mm-hmm. just something you just enjoy, normal. so you're going to throw it in there. It's like a I mean, thing I do think, now. as I believe we discussed discussing a Broad City plot line, the real frontier oh, pegging. is pegging, right. is <laughs> messing with the man's butt, right. I think, and penetrating him. Because as this study we looked at was only about women receiving anal sex, um, unknown uh, numbers of the women that were performing anal sex on their boyfriends. Well, in that study, it said I think it was only like thirteen percent of women reported having had anal sex. There was last a third year. of them. Oh yeah, a third of them had done, had done it, it, and then thirteen percent within the last year. Which really isn't so high. No, no, it's still pretty low. But it's that that correlation with them being in a relationship is really strong. Right. Like almost all of them who'd done it in the last year were doing it with a boyfriend. Now let's move on to our last topic: uh, the orgasm gender gap. According to another recent study, this one may be a little more dubious since it was sponsored by a condoms company, um, 97% of millennial men have at least one orgasm during sex, while 89% of women do. This is really great news, right? Yeah. I mean, seems too high. I'm sorry. Really? Yeah. You're going to throw some cold water on it. <laughs> I know. I'm going to rain on this parade. I mean, because like millennials are such a wide, it's a wide range, mm-hmm. range right? <clears throat> so we're including like pretty sexually inexpensive. Well, I shouldn't assume that someone younger than me is sexually inexperienced, but like younger women who might not know their bodies as well. So, like, I don't believe there that many women are getting off. I'm ah. sorry, especially like eighteen, especially or seventeen like in the year olds, yeah. to like twenty three range. It's just like 
This is a good point. Yeah. I suppose it could be like the optimistic, like you just sort of want to say that the thing you wish was happening is happening right. when you're fulfilling, completing a survey sponsored by a condom company. <laughs> um, well, what did you think when you read it, Mo? Were you like, oh, I was just victorious. kind of whole new generation. Woohoo! Right. I'm like, someone's <laughs> and, lying to you. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that's just like what struck me is that it's better than the current wage gap like the gender gap for <laughs> wages is actually worse and hasn't moved in like decades whereas if this condom company's survey were to be true that i was like well at least we're closing one gap the right. orgasm gap well if you could put all your energy into closing one gap would it be the orgasm gap <laughs> <laughs> okay it would be the wage gap but you know it's not an either or <laughs> it should not be that's true <laughs> and what do you think of the three percent of men who are not having orgasms Three whole percent seems really seems really high. Definitely. No, that seems accurate to <laughs> yeah. me. Um, maybe they just maybe they just confused. They thought I don't know. They thought it was no. A I think something. well, <laughs> no. I think you, you've been with a guy that can't get off. Yeah. I mean, this happens. The inverse of premature ejaculation is called delayed ejaculation, and it is a real thing. It is much less frequent occurs much less frequently, or at least people report it less frequently than they report and try to get help for premature ejaculation. But it's also possible that those guys aren't, you know, trying to get help because they don't see it as a problem, too. Is there but, any help for it? Um, yes, actually. There are various, like, I, this came up when I'm working on the stamina article, which we'll discuss next week. Yeah, people have various um, psychological and medical approaches to dealing with ejaculation that happens at all kinds of moments when you either don't want it or it never happens when you do want it and ways of maintaining control of when it happens, that sort of thing. I was once told by a college boyfriend that you can ejaculate without orgasming. So is that a thing? Is that a real... like? You can, can orgasm without ejaculating. Men can definitely. But if you ejaculate, that's an orgasm. You know what? The funniest thing is I had not heard of that until very, very recently. Some guy told me, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, come all the time. I've had two orgasms. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I don't know if that's, like, he was describing some, like, more intense version of what he had because, you know, orgasms can be more or less intense depending on what's going on. Right. Um, I'm not sure. Well, what I guess it depends on what the technical definition of an orgasm is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Google this. We'll find out. For We're going to look into this, and we'll figure it out during the stamina premature oh, delayed yeah, ejaculation week good. which is next week <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> and that's it for sex lives this time um our producer this week is sam dingman thanks also to henry malowski laura mayer and andy bowers of panoply for maureen o'connor and allison davis i'm david wallace wells we'll talk to you next time and thanks for listening 